Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Storybox where I, your host, Jay Phantom has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the story box and hear more about our guest today. Welcome everyone back to the Story Box podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. My friends, this, this episode is going to be deep, meaningful, and it's going to keep you all accountable by the end of it. Trust me. Uh, my guest today is Michael Chandler. Now, Michael is someone that I have admired and looked up to from afar, and it was a real honor to be able to speak to this man and talk about his life, where he grew up, how he grew up and all the lessons that he learns and, and the tributes to uh, for where he ended up in life. Now, if you don't know who Michael Chandler is, he's a three-time MMA world champion fighter, but his list of accomplishments goes so much further than just being a three-time MMA world champion fighter. For, for instance, his list of accomplishments at the University of Missouri include four-time NCAA qualifier, a Division One All-American, two-time runner-up Big 12 Championships, four-year starter, 100 career wins, two-year team captain. And then when he went into Bellator, here's his list of accomplishments. So 2011, 2013, and 2016, Fight of the Year nominations, most wins in Bellator history, most submission wins in Bellator lightweight history, most knockout wins in Bellator lightweight history, three-time lightweight champion, and he's ranked in the top 10 in all the world. That is an impressive list of accomplishments. But one of the things that I admired the most about this guy is the fact that he is so humble about it all. And that's one of the things you're going to get uh, in this interview is he's so down to earth, he's so wise and knowledgeable, and he's more than just bare knuckles and, and brawl. He's actually he's quite smart, okay? And we actually dive into all things um, about his life, like I said in the beginning. But more than that, we, we get emotional on some, some aspects, which is pretty, pretty damn cool. I love, I love being able to get emotional with people. And uh, we just had an amazing conversation, so I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it. So with that being said, my friends, I need you to do me a huge favor. If you do get something out of this episode, and I promise you, you will, then please, uh, you can watch the full episode on YouTube. Uh, just type out the Storybox podcast or click the link below. 
Uh, please leave a five-star rating and review. Let us know what you think of this episode. That would be super helpful, and it goes a long way in encouraging and, and growing this audience uh, to help as many people as we possibly can. My goal is to reach every single person on this planet with a story to help inspire them and make them realize that they are worth something. So you have the power to do that by just spending 30 seconds and it's just super appreciative um, of me and I'll be able to read out some of those um, those reviews on the next episode if you do leave a review. So if you want to do that, please support the show. Uh, your support is incredibly grateful. So with that all being said, all out of the way, let's dive into Storybox and hear Michael Chandler's story. Yeah, yes, sir. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm uh, excited to be here. It's an absolute pleasure, my friend. I've got one question that I love asking people before we dive into your backstory and, and why you do what you do, and that is, what does success look like to you? You know, I think, uh, you know, if you would have asked me a decade ago, it would have been different. If you would have asked me five years ago, it would have been different. But today, today, it's just continuing to realize that human beings have an unlimited amount of potential. We have so much more potential and so much more talent and so much more gumption and so much, so much more ability within us that we were created with. So for me, it's not wins and losses. It's not money made. It's not all the belts and the, the glitz and the glam. For me, it's when I get done with my mixed martial arts career or when I get done with a day of being a father or a day of being a husband or a, you know, a date with my wife or a business transaction or whatever season it may be. Can I look at myself in the mirror honestly and say, Michael, did you give everything that you could with the talents that you were given? And, and I just hope that I can answer number one, honestly, and number two, without regret, you know, and for me, one, once I got, once I hit 30, the age of 30, I hit my prime in, in mixed martial arts. But eventually, once you hit 30, you realize you're, you're closer to the end than you were at the beginning. And now it's more about significance and it's about getting the most out of this body that God has blessed me with. Um, so for me, success is wealth in not, but wealth, but not in money, wealth in happiness in significance in love, um, in contentment and in impacting as many people as I possibly can. I like how you mentioned their regrets and I'm curious, do you have any regrets? You know, I, I can, I can always look back at different seasons of my life or different decisions that I've made or different, um, you know, different things that have happened in my life. And of course I could say, well, I wish that would have went differently, or maybe I should have done this instead of that, or, or maybe I shouldn't have started that business, or maybe I should have, you know, trained this way better or not stayed with that team longer as long as I should have. But, you know, for me, I think every single time and it, and it, and it gets, it continues to get revealed to me every single time I have even a setback or every time I have a, a phenomenal performance in life or in the cage, I realize that everything really does happen for the greater good of me and my story and my platform. Man, I, I, I had a really bad rough patch, uh, back in 2013. I was, I was world champion. I was undefeated. I lost my first fight and that first fight messed with me mentally. And then I lost the next fight and the next fight, I lost three fights in a row and 688 days without winning. So I could say, man, that's a, there's a lot of regrets in the, in those almost two year period of not winning a fight. But those, those shortcomings or those, um, those not, those, those moments of not listening to my inner self or, or listening to the calling on my life really did groom me into the man that I am today. So, um, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't have any regrets, but that is kind of the way that I look at it. I mean, I just know 
I know for sure my, my greatest goal is when I get done with my last fight somewhere and I take off those gloves for the last time and I probably got a cut here or a cut there and I just got done showering, I'm going to be in some arena, some, some bathroom in an arena somewhere. I'm going to have to look myself in the mirror and say, Michael, did you give everything that you possibly could mm-hmm. during this entire career, this last 15 years, 20 year career, however long this is going to be. And I think every single day, that's one of my driving factors to make sure I never have to live the, live with the regret of not giving it my all, you know? I love that, man. And, and I'm also curious about when you lost this battle, why did you feel bad about losing it in the first place? Do you not like losing? No. Well, I hate, yeah, I mean, I hate losing of course, but, but for me, you know, you, you kind of have to peel back the layers and go back to, to who, who I was, who, who was Michael Chandler as a kid? Who, how did I grow up? Who did I grow up around? I was a very small kid. I was a small guy from a very small town who was taught to do very small things. I was taught that don't put yourself out there. Don't go outside those County lines. Don't, don't put yourself out there too much because the chances of you failing are extremely high. And if you, and if you fail, that's the finality of, of you and you're not going to be able to come back from it. I, I kind of had this almost black and white doomsday feeling about going out and doing great things with my life. And Whenever I got into this sport of wrestling, I walked on, as you talked about my, my college wrestling days, I walked on, I, that means I got zero scholarship, um, for your viewers who are over there, um, in Australia and and across the world, we get a scholarship, we get money to be, to be paid, not paid, but they pay for our schooling, uh, in wrestling or in any sport. I didn't get any money. I just walked on, they gave me an invitation and said, we're not going to pay you anything, but you can come. And they figured I would quit or they figured I would just be a dummy, a punching bag for five years. And I ended up being, uh, ended up being an all American in the end, which is top eight in the country at my weight class. And I ended up becoming a leader on the team for two years, a team captain, um, and qualifying for the NCAA championships, which means I'm top 30 in my weight class every single year. Um, but I always found a way to self-sabotage myself. I always found a way for that little guy from that little town who's, who was deeply embedded inside my heart, my soul, my mind. Every time I got close to winning or doing well or outperforming my view of myself, I would somehow find a way to lose. And eventually <clears throat> when I got done with my senior year of college and I was, I was happy that I was an All-American, but I knew I underperformed, I said, man, I'm not gonna ever let this happen again. I got into the sport of mixed martial arts. I won my first 12 fights won a world title. I'm top three in the country, top three in the world. Um, I think I had nine finishes, like nine finishes of my 12 fights and seven of those in the first round. So to say that I got shot out of a cannon and I, and I learned how to win fast and quick and in a dominant fashion is somewhat of an understatement. But when I lost that first fight, that little guy from that little town crept back up and said, I knew you were an imposter. I knew you weren't going to be able to do it you know, we knew that what the media was saying about you, you knew it deep down. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't who you were. You're not a champion. You're a small guy. You go back to Missouri. You're a failure. You're this, you're that. And, and it was that inner, it was that inner dialogue that got to me. And, um, so then after that loss, all I wanted to do was three things. And I talk about this when I do keynotes around, around the country is, is number one, I hid, um, my, I was up for fight of the year. One of those, one of the fights that you record that you, um, kind of said in, in the intro, I was up for fight of the year world MMA awards. They wanted me to come show my face, walk the red carpet, get on the mic, um, accept the award for fight of the year and also present an award. I said, no ESPN, Errol Hawani, all, all the biggest names in mixed martial arts were calling me. Hey, phenomenal fight. Can't wait for the rematch. Will you do an interview? 
My answer was no. I wanted to hide myself because I was so, I was so, um, just honestly, just embarrassed of losing. So that was the first big mistake I made. Number two, the the second big mistake I made was that I had skill amnesia and I, I forgot all of a sudden when I lost that fight, I forgot how good I was, how fast I was, how explosive I was, how great of a fighter I was. I forgot about all my past performances, which were phenomenal performances. And I hung my whole career, my whole life, my whole personal self image on that one loss. Um, and then the third, third mistake I made was like, I found comfort in that self pity of, okay, well, I'll make a joke about this. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose three in a row, or, or you know, I, you know, it was this coach's fault or it was that coach's fault, or it was the, you know, in, in, in business, we call it, we, we blame it on the economy or in, or, you know, for a, a guy like yourself in, in media, it's COVID-19. This is the, this is the reason we, we all find these self-pity reasons why, um, why we didn't accomplish our goals. And those are the three big mistakes that I made. And I've since admitted them publicly on public forums. And, and I think it's really helped me realize that you can't do those three things. You have to own that loss. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to, to wear it because that, that loss is my loss. It's not yours. It's not my wife's. It's not my coach's. It's not anybody's. It's mine. And it's going to be something that's going to propel me forward. Um, secondly, I'm still just as good of a fighter, whether I win or lose. And thirdly, um, you, you got to surround yourself with people, places, things, and, and literature that's going to build your mind up so you don't fall into that self-pity. I love how you mentioned all that, man. Like it's, it's very, very powerful for people to hear. And I want to unpack it a little bit um, because it sounds like you grew up and you were basically placed in a cage and you were able to go outside of that cage and in order to sort of kind of rebel a little bit towards it, you, you went into wrestling and then, um, but I think we all have those little demons inside of our head inside of our minds telling us that we can't do something if, it, if it's too big and we sort of get in this comparison syndrome looking at how good other people are and we look at ourselves, and we look at our upbringing and how small and insignificant we are because I, I like I feel the same way you know like when I look at my own life and I grew up in a lower class family my parents didn't have very much and I was I grew up in a very small school very small environment and it was almost like I did not want to go outside of that because I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I almost told myself that I couldn't. And then now I'm able to speak to people all over the world that are doing amazing things. And I never even thought that was even possible because mm -hmm. I had told myself that it wasn't. And so I think it's an important thing for, for people listening to understand that you can tell yourself that you can do it, but you've got to make the choice to. Yep. And I have, I have a saying that I often tell people is if you say you can't, you won't. If you say you can, you will. Yep. So make, make the choice too. And I want to ask mm -hmm. you about breaking that self-pity. So what did it take to break that self-pity? Sorry, everyone, to disturb you from listening to our amazing guest story so far. But I wanted to butt in here and let you guys know that I have started a YouTube channel for the Storybox podcast where you can watch pretty much all of the interviews that I've done so far with some amazing guests over on YouTube. So you can just search up the Storybox podcast or you can click the link below uh, in, in the show notes to actually go to the channel and watch all the amazing content that I have put out there for you guys uh, with some amazing guests on there. You got Grant Cardone, you got doctors on there, you got 
you know, so much amazing content, actors, stunt doubles, everything that you guys would want or need, it is there for you. Small bite-sized chunks, golden nuggets, you name it, that is going to be very beneficial for you. So if you do want to subscribe, it's that option is there for you. Really appreciate your time and your support. I apologize for the interruption, but let's get back into the story box and continue hearing our guest story today. Well, I think I think the biggest... The most important thing in life that, and I'm no philosopher by any means, but for me, the biggest thing that I try to hang my hat on now is just accountability. Realizing that it doesn't matter what the economy is doing, who the president is, or what what bad things may befall you. The accountability of you being in charge of you and your own household, your own mental state, your own physical state, your own life um, is it's a blessing and a curse because once you start to realize that all of the ownness is on you, now you have that burden of accountability that you can't blame it on anybody else. You know, and I think for me, I, I, I found comfort in just blaming it on things uh, or blaming it on, you know, that little guy from that little town or blaming it on mom and dad or blaming it on high school wrestling coaches or blaming it on whatever. And okay, I guess I'll just be this guy who had some success for a, a small season of life. And then, you know, went back to mediocrity. Um, but I think it's taking extreme accountability of your mind, realizing that you are what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind. Every single day, the lens by which you see the world manifests itself in your daily, your daily life, your daily habits, and the things that find somehow find a way slipping through the cracks and attracting themselves to you, uh, both in a positive way or a negative way. And a lot of it has to do with who you're surrounding yourself with. And luckily for me, I've, I've never been afraid to make an enemy pretty quick and write you off. You know, I, I, I not an enemy, but, uh, you know, I had a ton of great friends who didn't have the same goals as me. So no, I couldn't go to your wedding. I'm out here training. I, I can't go to your birthday party. I'm out here training. No mom, I can't come back to the, to this family party or grandpa's 80th birthday because I'm out here training. I'm on my own path and I'm making my own way here. Um, and I, so I almost had to, like you said, rebel, um, because I was also taught, it wasn't just that I was taught that, that I was supposed to do small things, but I was also almost taught not necessarily directly, but indirectly by conversations that I was around or the people that I was around that success, money, fame, platform, was almost a negative thing. It was almost a bad thing. You know, it was almost, it was almost like, well, the rich people are, are just, they only think about themselves. They don't help anybody else. They just worry about their own money and they want to make more of it while us little people just sit here and scrape by or, Oh, the, the really successful guy over there, he's not going to, he's not going to help me because I'm just little old me. And he's, he's a selfish, egotistical, arrogant, self-centered, uh, successful person. And, and what I realized by going to college and, and surrounding, I went from small town in Missouri to my college was only a couple hours away. So I was still in Missouri, but I, I had a roommate from North Carolina. The guy across the street, the guy across the hall from me was from California. This guy was from Pennsylvania. This guy was from Illinois. We had this hodgepodge melting pot of kids, young men from around the country. And you realize, holy cow, people aren't people outside those county lines are a lot better than I thought. And then all of a sudden my Bible study leader is an orthopedic surgeon who's probably making a half a million dollars a year. And he can make $50,000 in one day doing a, doing a surgery and not, not to talk about his money, but realizing that the amount of money that he made actually made him a better person because I saw how he was donating, donating his time, his money, his energy. He was philanthropic about 
all of the blessings that God had given him. And it was almost like this switch that flipped. And I realized that success is how you help people. You don't help people by being broke, poor, sick, tired, and put into a box. You help people by creating so many resources in your life that you have the abundance and you and then you create this abundance mentality where if I have five of these things, I don't need five of them. I'm going to go ahead and keep one, but four other people are about to get blessed. And I think I just, you know, you, you just grow, you mature, you, you break generational curses, you break that bondage, you break the change, you, you, you lift, you lift that weight off that you were taught as a young child. And it was just a long, long process. And I'm 34 years old right now. And I haven't figured it out yet. I still got that little guy from that little town inside me. And I think it's important. It's important for the viewers to know that that I, I can almost promise you and guarantee you that that little guy from that little town who was taught to do little things will always be inside here. Sometimes you slay dragons, some, some dragons you slay and you get them out of your life, but some of them, you just get very good at pushing into a corner. You get very good at duct taping them to the basement of your mind and they're stuck there and there's duct tape around their, uh, across their mouth and they can't speak. They can't move. They can't impact your day anymore because you've built yourself up so much that you've learned how to corral that little guy from the little town or that, that worthless person, that worthless mentality or that poor mentality or whatever anybody's dealing with that person inside of you, you may not ever be able to slay them, kill them and get rid of them. Uh, but you can just get good at corralling them and, and putting them into a corner where they don't affect your daily life. I like how you're creating an analogy because you are a fighter and you're talking about yeah. fighting with your own inner self. And it's yeah. like, you're trying to be better than your inner voice that is trying to out wrestle you and out, out, out beat you. And it's like, mm -hmm. are you going to actually win? And yeah. you're telling me that you, you don't like losing. So yeah. it's like this constant give and take, like, do I want to win today? Do I want to lose today? Or that's my choice though. And yes. I, like how you, I like how you mentioned, I want to go a little bit towards the, the faith aspect as well. And, and how you mentioned um, your, your Bible study leader, God as well. Cause I, I personally, I'm a Christian brought up in a Christian home. So I know, and I can relate to all, a lot of the teachings that you've probably been taught as well growing up. And I like how you mentioned this guy has all this money, but yeah, he's successful because he serves. He serves. Mm -hmm. And I think the ultimate example in the Bible of the most successful being that ever lived was Christ because he, he exemplified this idea of service. It's others before self. Mm -hmm. It's learning to be selfless so that others can see and you can help others as well. And sometimes like for ourselves, we got to be selfish a little bit so then we can be selfless. Yes. I, th I think that's also okay because if you can't, if you can't help yourself, how are you going to help others? <laughs> well, and that's, and that, and that's what's so, you know, I mean, obviously, the world right now, um, I mean, especially in the United States and the world in, in, in the country that I live in right now, the United States, there's this, there's this huge war between, you know, people on one side versus people on the other. And there's so much focus on everybody else. And once again, we go back to accountability. So instead of me looking at the way that the left, the right, or the people in the middle or the president or the economy or this, and instead of looking at the way everybody else is doing things, yes, of course, policies and mandates and different things can affect my life in a very small way. But for the most part, if I take care of Michael and I take care of my wife and I take care of my son and I take care of my household, 
the, the roof that is over my head, what really can befall me that, that, that is really going to make a huge impact in my life. Focus on myself first, because I know the biggest goal in my life is of course, I want to win some more world titles and provide for my family, but I want to be the best father and husband that I possibly can. And I can't do that if I'm worrying about politics or the left, the right, if I'm focused on all those other things, that's sucking the life out of the father and the husband that I need to be. And, and it's, you know, and it's interesting too going, going back to your, to your point about not wanting to lose and not wanting to lose that battle to that inner person. It's, it's also kind of the, the Sun Tzu um, mentality of know thy enemy yeah. better than you know thyself. And it's also realizing that I know that little guy from that little town who was taught to do little things has a huge impact on me. So therefore it keeps me on my game even more realizing, realizing the things, the, the snares that, that snow so easily entrap me or the things, the stumbling blocks in my life, the, or the people in my life that make me feel a certain way or want to do certain things. I know, I know all of those temptations. So therefore how do I safeguard myself every single day and stand guard at the, at the gate of my mind? Mm. I like how you mentioned the know thy enemy more than you know yourself. And I'm, I've always been curious by that saying, because is that actually possible to know your enemy more than you know you? You know, I mean, and the funny thing is, and I've always operated this way. I always, every time somebody talks to me, I'm doing a pre-fight interview, we talk about, okay, hey, your opponent has this, 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 and this. He's got this many wins or this many stoppages or this many whatever. And I I really always just say, I spend 90% of my time focusing just on myself, you know? So I don't, I don't, I don't look at my fight career like that Sun Tzu quote with know thy enemy is you know better than you know thyself. Because I, I know if if I show up with my attributes, my gifts, my skills, um, and then 10% of the time I, I focus on, okay, he's good at this, 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 and this, and we need to stop that. And I'm going to put myself in the best situation possible to, to be successful. If I just stop those little things and I just be Michael, be the, be the fighter that I am with the skill set that I am. And this is the easiest path, easiest path to victory, um, to be able to go out there and win. So, um, I think it's, I think in life, yes, I, I've grown grown enough to look at the different aspects of my life where I feel like I know what that thing, that person, that scenario, that feeling, um, how that makes me feel, or it makes me act, or it makes me, uh, want to be great or be, you know, give up. Um, so those things learn as much as you can about who you are when those things are affecting you to be able to thwart those down the road. That's really good. I like, I like that. I want to take you back a little bit to why you decided to start wrestling in the first place. Like what was it about wrestling that you liked the most? Well, um, you know, I think I, once again, we go back to that little guy from that little town. I was a little guy. So I was a, a hundred pounds soaking wet in, in my freshman year of high school. So being on the basketball team, you know, I was on the football team, but I rode the bench, you know, I, I played, I played football three years of my four years in high school and I started my senior year. Um, I got like, I got two touchdowns, but we were, we had a bad football team. We had a great wrestling team. Um, so I was just by default, I was a small little, small little guy who was very small. I was very light. I was a hundred pounds. So I wasn't going to be a linebacker or the best receiver. Cause I was only four foot 11, you know? So it was almost by, uh, by default that wrestling 
a, a sport that is broken down into weight classes. I could get into that 100, 103 pound weight class or the 112 pound weight class and wrestle other guys who are 112 pounds instead of a 300 pound lineman or linebacker from, you know, one of the big, biggest schools in the state. Um, but then obviously I realized that, but I think the, the thing that really drew me to it, and it's also what draws me to mixed martial arts is once again, the accountability. I mean, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. When you're out there in a wrestling match, it's just you and it's me and there's a referee here and he's probably not going to really change the match that much. Even though a lot of people like to make excuses about referees and judging and this and that, but for the most part, it's on me. If I go out there and win, I won. If I go out there and lose, I lost, you know? So I just love the finality of, you know, in a football game or, or, or a rugby game or any of those a soccer game, any of those sports, there's a thousand different scenarios over a 45 minute period where if, you know, the forward could have done this or the goalkeeper could have done that. And you can kind of just blame it on other people. And there's not as much accountability. I love all of those sports. I just think the most accountability in any sport in the world goes wrestling, you know, wrestling, um, and some of these other individual sports like golf and, and, and some of those other ones. But, um, I just love, I love that aspect of it. I love the accountability. I'm a, I'm a carpenter's son and a secretary's son. As I said, my mom and dad, were, um, are, uh, still working to this day. And they are amazing blue collar people. My dad pulls himself up by his bootstraps every single day at 5.00 AM. My mom was working two and three jobs when we were kids. My dad was working side jobs to make sure me and my two brothers had everything that we ever needed in life. Um, so I kind of had that blue collar outwork everybody mentality. And I just, they always taught us accountability. It, uh, maybe, maybe we didn't have the highest aspirations set on us that we could go do great things, but every day we were going to do what was right. We're, we're going to try to get good grades. We're not going to get in trouble. We're going to be good, you know, good, good little boys. I had the same experience, man. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> and it's one of those, one of those things, you know, it, it, you grow up with great values, great work ethic, which sort of sets you up for later in life. When was the moment that you realized that you could make wrestling or mixed martial arts as your career, your main career? Um, well, I mean, as soon as I got to college, you know, cause I, I wasn't, I wasn't a great high school wrestler either. I, I kind of similar to college. I, I qualified for state in high school, four years. I finally, I finally, uh, became a, a, a state placer my senior year, same thing with my college wrestling career. But, um, you know, I was just constantly fighting that little guy from the little town mentality. And, uh, I walked on and, 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 uh, ended up getting a scholarship my second year, a small little scholarship. And then the scholarship got bigger and bigger to where I finally didn't pay for pay for college my senior year. <clears throat> but I think during college was when I really realized I was, you know, cause I, I still to this day now I'm 34 and I, I'm talking to these 22, 23, 25 year old kids, you know, kids, but they're, they're men, but they're, they're still kids in my eyes. I'm like, trust me, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is this career is, is this career's effectiveness and, and platform is over a 10, 15 year period. So you have to be there for the longevity. So when you're 24 years old and you're worried about a loss or you're worried about this, that, or the other thing, realize that you're not even going to be a real man and feel like a real full on man athlete until you're at least 30 years old when you hit 30 years old. Um, so for me, once, once I got into college and started to, to progress and mature and I was 22 years old, I started to fill up, fill my body started to fill out a little bit. I was a late bloomer. I didn't have hair in my armpits till I was like a senior in high school. And then finally I started growing up a little bit 
and then hitting the weight room and, and doing two, three, four sessions a day and just in, in enveloping my entire life, wake up in the morning, wrestle, go to class, wrestle again, go to class, wrestle again. And I did it for five years straight. And I, I missed out on the, the partying and the college experience. But what I gained was the accountability of knowing when I got done with my senior year, the only thing that held me back, it wasn't the hard work. It wasn't, it wasn't lack of work ethic. It wasn't uh, anything. It was just that mentality. So then I started working on the mentality and, you know, built it up when I got into mixed martial arts and then had a, had a small misstep there and then kind of built it back. And it made me even mentally stronger than I am today. But obviously wrestling, you don't, we don't make any money. Um, but I had two guys, if you follow mixed martial arts, Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren, both of those guys wrestled in college, um, with me. Tyron was a senior when I came as a freshman and he was, I was his, I was his kind of his wrestling dummy. Cause he knew, he knew I was, one, I was, I was the kid. If he called any time of day, I would come work out with him. Um, then he started fighting, doing amateur fights and, and then got started doing pro fights and making money and going, he got into strike force. And then Ben Askren, who I was a teammate with for two or three years, he started fighting right away, pro fighting and making a little bit of money. I'm like, shoot, that's a, a seems like a pretty good career. The sport of mixed martial arts has taken off big time. I'm a tough, hard nosed, hard working wrestler. I'm going to be better than everybody on the ground. I'm going to be able to take anybody down in the entire world at lightweight. All I got to do is learn how to throw my hands and, and I'm going to have at least have a decent amount of success. So I figured I'd give it a try and then fought my first fight three months after I graduated. And then couple months later, fought my second fight, third fight. And then I got into Bellator, Bellator tournament, won the tournament and then won the world title. And it's kind of been off, off to the races since. Wow, man. Like I, I'm, I'm curious to know, you mentioned there for a moment that this idea of manhood, like being a real man, I, mm -hmm. I want to ask you for a moment, what in your opinion is what does it mean to be a real man? And then what does real strength actually look like? Yeah. You know, I mean, when you think about a, a we were speaking about just purely physical and athletic performance. I mean, from, from that performance or that performance aspect, I think everybody always talks about mixed martial arts is a young man's game. But if you look at every single big name in the sport, they're post 30, you know, there's very, very few times does a guy like John Jones come in at 20 something years, 20 early twenties and win a world title. Max Holloway got in the UFC at 19 years old. Conor McGregor is an anomaly in and of himself. And he found his real big success before 30, but for the most part, it takes a long time and you gotta, you gotta build yourself into this body. And, and so from a physical aspect, it's about, it's about having the patience and the persistence up until your, your gumption, your mind and your goals meets up with your physical attributes. Um, but as far as being a man to me, to me, once I became a husband and a father, realizing that we were put on this earth to going back to what you said to serve my favorite thing about being married is the joy that my wife gets when I just do something for her or I remember a date or I remember this or I set up a date or I get her flowers or I do something, just something that is just an act of service or words of affirmation to tell her just how much I absolutely love her. And then that, it even got compounded even bigger once you have a child. And we adopted our son about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago at this point. And taking the responsibility of another human being's life and realizing, and, and I don't think, I think the biggest, the biggest detriment to, to almost every single person is if a parent looks at a child, like it's just having a child or just another um, task or just another thing that they have to do, realizing that having a child and, and taking the accountability and realizing that 
yeah, there's going to be different circumstances. Maybe it's up to chance, fate, God's plan for his life. But for the most part, I, me and my wife are in the driver's seat of how he's going to think the success he's going to have, the money he's going to make, the people he's going to impact, how he sees himself, how he sees the world. And I don't think people truly understand how much of an impact being a parent is because they just think, well, as long as it doesn't die, I'm going to take care of it. And as long as he he doesn't die, he's going to be fine. Right. He's going to go to school and he'll get education and he'll get a job someday. And it's, it's like, but it's bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. And I had amazing parents, but I want to be better than they were. I want to be 10 times better than they were. I want to be the best dad in the entire world. And not because not so somebody's not so, so somebody could say, man, you're the best dad in the world because uh, it's more about someday when my son is old enough to realize what being a man is, he's going to see me laugh. He's going to see me cry. He's going to see me serve. He's going to see me stand up for what is right, stand up for and, and, and stop what is wrong. And he's going to see all of these different decisions and no, I'm not going to be perfect and I'm not perfect. I'm a failure every single day in certain aspects, but I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit it. And I'm going to say, sorry when I am. And, and uh, you know, these days, the greatest accomplishments in my life are when I get an Instagram message and nobody talks about fighting. They only say, man, you're an inspiration because of this, 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 the way you love your wife, your son. Those are the kind of, those are the kind of interactions that just put a huge smile on my face. Cause yeah, it's cool. I can punch people and knock them out and yeah, I can pick them up and I can put them down. And yeah, I can make uh, a lot of money by fighting in the cage and there's bright lights and I'm on TV. That's all cool. But man, all that stuff fades. What is what is real is, is being a man of your word and, and impacting, impacting my wife's life and impacting my son's life. And then throughout the way, along the way, impacting as many other people outside of my, under my household, we can talk about the household again, under the, everybody outside of my household, um, while still never, never wavering from those two being my, uh, my number one priority in life. I love that, man. How did you actually meet your wife and what has she taught you that you hold dear to your heart? So it's actually really funny. I'll, I'll take a really long, big story. It was a seven year, seven year story, but it's a long, big story. And I'll try to put it into a little quick 30 second blur, yeah. but <laughs> go back to my, go back to my Bible study leader. His, one of his best friends was another, was a dentist in town. I knew who that dentist was because I knew of his reputation in town. He, he led numerous Bible studies around town. He was a church leader at one of the churches, just a phenomenal man. The other Bible study that I went to on campus four or five of those guys or, or girls would go to his house and they'd have like little parties and they'd make ice cream. And he was just this amazing, amazing man of God, like everything that you wanted to be in a man. And I said, man, that dude is awesome. And then all of a sudden um, I get my tooth chipped my sophomore year or my freshman year, I go into his office and all of a sudden I see that man and there's this beautiful little brunette sitting next to him on these family photos. And I said, Holy cow, he is amazing. She is beautiful. So I looked her up on Facebook, of course. And like, and then, then it just, then it was just like a little, little drop here and there, little hints. I, then the next week I'd go to the Bible study. They say, talk about this Brie Willett girl. I'm like, that's that girl. That's that girl. That, that, that's the, that's the girl. They're talking about the girl. And I try to like insert myself into the conversation. Oh, who's she? Where's she? Oh, she goes to school in Indiana or blah, blah, blah. And then long story short, I'm like, this is going to happen eventually. Like, and of course I dated other girls. I wasn't like hanging my hat on meeting this mysterious girl someday. Um, <laughs> I hoped it happened, but, um, you know, I, years went by and every single year and I would check her Facebook and we even became Facebook friends because I had mutual friends. Thank God she accepted me and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, eventually I'm going to meet her. Eventually I'm going to meet her and never ended up meeting her. And finally one day I was like, man, 
I'm just going to send her a little Facebook message, sent her a Facebook message. She was applying to residencies all across the country to, to go into PA school or no, she had just got done with PA school. She was about to go into uh, residency after. And uh, so she's like, Hey, I'm getting off Facebook. Here's my email. So we emailed back and forth and I'm not joking. I would email her and she would take four weeks to respond. And then I'd email her, I'd email her back within 10 minutes of receiving it. And then it would take her another five months and I'd email her right back. And then finally I like wore her down and wore her down. I'm like, Hey, you want to get some ice cream? You want to get some coffee? And you like, I'm just, I'm, you know, and like, thank God, like I said, I had these mutual friends that she respected and, and, uh, we finally went on a date and I seriously fell in love with her right there. And it, we've been together now for seven years. We'll be married. Um, we're married this year for our sixth year. So it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. So how many times did you have to ask her out on a date before she said yes? I mean, it seriously took like, I, I, we made first contact via Facebook message. It took like two full years for me to just get coffee with her. And she lied to me and said, or no, I told her I have practice at three 30. So she said, okay, let's meet it. Let's meet at two 15. Cause I said, I need to be, I need to be done at by three 15 to be at practice at three 30. She said, okay, let's meet at two 15. So she, so she knew I had a hard out. I had to go. I was like, and she, she had like a five hour period. We could have met and, and just in case she liked me, we could have talked for four hours, but no, she sets it up one hour before I have to be somewhere else to give herself a heart out. That was just how she was. She was in love with medicine. She, she was in love with what she was doing. She didn't need me. She didn't need any guy. And that was extremely attractive to me. Um, but to go back to your, your other question, the second part of your question, what I've learned from her, um, you know, we talk about accountability. She is the most accountable person I've ever met in my entire life. It's, it's always, Hey, this is, this is my fault. I'm not blaming it on this, that, or the other thing. And I'm in me, of course I show her grace. No, it's because of this, that. And she's like, no, this is my fault. I could have done this or done that. So accountability. So that's number one. Number two, she's just so steadfast and immovable. And, and as I talked about her dad, her dad is one of the most amazing men on the entire planet. And she is so much like him. And God knew that I needed a woman exactly like her. And she is just so constant. I'm, I'm like this. You know, I got, I got a buddy named Russell Dickerson and he's got these lyrics on a runway and she's a slow road, slow rolling Chevy on a Sunday. And I'm just, I'm like a 737. I'm ready to go. Engines are going, jets are going. I'm ready to go, go, go up, down, up, down all over the place. And she's just like slow rolling Chevy on a Sunday, constant, never gets too high, never gets too low. She's just, she's perfect for me. Um, and then just to watch her as a parent, she's even more consistent than I ever thought a parent could be dealing with the ups and downs of a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old now. Um, and just her hard work, her dedication, and then just her selflessness and service to me. She, her, her goal every single day is to just make my life as, as, as amazing as it possibly can be. And, and, and that in turn makes me want to do the same thing for her. So those are kind of the things that I, I love the most about her and what she has, she has taught me. And I learned, new things about her every single day through every new season. And, and she's a rock star, man. She's just, she's an amazing, amazing human being. God has blessed me so much. That's amazing, man. I'm curious about how you actually want her over. It, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think, like I said, luckily I had mutual friends. So once again, exactly. for you men out there who, those of you men out there who want to meet the special someone, make sure you're not pecking around with the chickens if you want to soar with the eagles. Right. So yeah. luckily, luckily I had those. Yeah, there you go, man. Like exactly. Like if, if I, if, if I didn't have those three, four, five mutual friends that she respected, loved that they were, you know, they were Christians, they were in my Bible study and that if they didn't, if she didn't know that about me, maybe she doesn't, accept my friend request and I never meet her. I'd have to really have to stalk her, uh, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, 
And then her brother made a joke because that morning she had just got, the, she worked the night shift the night before. So that means she worked like eight to eight, 8 PM to 8 AM. She got off work at 8 AM, slept until like noon and woke up. And then her brother was like, you know, making lunch while she was just having her first cup of coffee. And he's like, well, maybe you should just do it. Like, what if he's your husband? And she's like, yeah, right. You know? And like, luckily when I talked to her, her, uh, her brother Landon about it, it's like, he really did make that comment. And she's like, okay, fine. I guess I'll just go. Like it's, it's been two years now and the guy hasn't shown any red flags. He's, he must not be that big of a weirdo. So I'll give him one hour. And luckily it just worked out. And now I fell in love with her. And I just told her, Hey, from that, that moment on, I was like, you know, this is it. Like, let's, let's, let's be together. And we've been together ever since. So you guys around the same age? Yeah. She's uh, about a year and a half older than I am. Okay. I've always been curious about the age factor. Is age sort of like a difference because, you know, women mature faster than men do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and she, she had never dated a younger guy too. And of course I'm only basically a year younger, but she had always dated older because yeah, for that simple fact that she was mature for her age and all of us were down here like, Oh, Nintendo and freaking <laughs> fart jokes. And, you know, so of course, you know, she's like that. I think that was, that was seriously one of the things. Number one, I was a fighter. So I had some kind of pent up aggression issues. Number two, I was on Google at that point in time. Cause I was already world champion. So she thought all girls were probably, you know, hitting on me and, and trying to get at me or whatever. And then number three, like I was younger than her. So I had like three strikes right away. So that's why it just took so long, you know, so, but, but never grow weary in, in, in doing right and continuing to be in that pursuit, you know? She, um, does she ever tell you that she's worried about you going and fighting? Um, like physically or just win, lose, uh, physically, physically fighting someone else. No, she's, she, she just knows, she knows. And, and I think I rub off on her too. I mean, that's what we do as spouses. We rub off on each other for good or bad, better or worse, you know, but I, I think I rub off on, on her in my mentality is that I promise you. And I told her that, and I tell her that all the time because we, we do training camps away from each other. She, she's in Nashville right now and I'm in Florida. So if I'm down here making sacrifices and I, I promise her every single time, I'm going to work my hardest. I'm going to do things right. I'm going to do everything right. Because when I step into that cage, I'm going to, I'm going to, I will know that I had left no stone unturned and I will have made every right decision to be able to be successful that night. And if it's not in the cards, it's not in the cards. If I win, I win. Praise God. If I lose, I lose. It wasn't in the cards. We still got to praise God, you know? And, uh, so I think that is kind of rubbed off on her, but man, she gets nervous as, as heck, man. Like she can't, she can't eat or drink. It's like, she wants to have a glass of wine to, to take off the edge, but then you can't have a glass of wine because you're kind of on edge and it runs right through you. And like, like the physical manifestation of your, I mean, it's, it's your favorite person in the entire world going to get locked into a cage for 15 or 25 minutes with another man who wants to rip his head off. I mean, I get nervous watching my, watching my training partners and, and friends fight and I'm not married to them. They're not even top 15, 20, 40, 50 on my list of favorite people in the world. I can't imagine watching my favorite person in the entire world go out there and not just compete, but compete in something where they could, you know, get injured or get hurt. So it's, he, uh, she never uses the word scared or fearful or whatever. She just, she's so strong and I can feed off of that. Um, and she, we just, you know, it's, it's worked out really, really well. Coincidentally, my first fight with her, I knocked the guy out in like 45 seconds. And then right after that was when I went to that three loss streak. So she's been with me when I was world champion. She's been with me when I was, a, you know, nobody and I was written off. 
And uh, so that's great too. We have that, that feather in our cap to be, be like, man, we've been through this, we've been through that and we are, we're rock solid, baby. Incredible, man. Absolutely incredible. I've got a couple more questions yeah. for you, dude, if you don't mind. Really enjoy this. No, of course. By the way, uh, what would you say is your biggest fear currently? Um, I, think, I think that's my biggest fear is still, I think, going back to not getting everything out of this this body and these abilities and these blessings that God has given me. You know, I mean, everybody, everybody always asks me, you know, cause I have this persona on, on Instagram or on, on, um, social media where everybody's like, man, you work out so hard. You, it's just different when they watch my videos, they're just different. There's a different level of intensity. There's a different level of pain. There's a different level of exceeding those comfort zones than most people are willing to do. And it inspires them luckily. But for the most part, I get, I get asked the question all the time. How do you stay motivated? How do you stay inspired? How do you stay built up? And, and for me, every single morning when my head comes off that pillow, I thank God for another day to have two capable legs, two capable arms and a well-enabled body to be able to go out there and not just, not just do something like what I'm doing is really cool. Like men are drawn to it. Women are drawn to it. It's the epitome of life struggles all inside of a cage. Win, lose, or draw. It's, it's this beautiful masterpiece that is being painted that so many people can relate to. Even people who don't like mixed martial arts can in some way or another relate to it. So I realize the platform that I've been given. I realize the opportunity that I've been given, not to mention the fact that I have some amazing gifts, some physical gifts, some mental gifts. Um, and as I said, these two capable legs and two capable arms, and I, I have so many friends who don't have well-enabled bodies or they, they weren't given the opportunities that I have or don't have the platform that I have or don't have the, you know, the X, Y, and Z that I have in my life. And, and the, only, the only way that I can discredit these blessings that I've been given is to not give it my all every single day. Uh, luckily for me, it's, it's never been hard for me to give it my all. It's never been hard for me to do the extra rep. It's never been hard for me to do the extra mile to run through a brick wall for my coach if he wants me to. Um, so I think my biggest fear is just going out into a performance or getting at the end of my career and looking back and saying, man, that was not me. That was not, that was not Michael Chandler in there. That was a subpar performance mentally, physically. I just didn't have it that night, you know, and that's, so you train every single day, you train your mind, you train your body, you train your spirit, you train your soul, uh, to be able to mitigate that risk whenever you step inside that cage to have a, to have a negative performance or get done with your career and have those regrets. Love it, man. I've got three more questions for you. If you don't mind this one, this one might be a bit hard, but we'll see how we go. And I've only asked this question to three, four other people. So we'll see how we go. If you could ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Why? And what question would you ask them? Goodness. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm a big James Allen guy right now. You know who James Allen is? Yes. The book yeah. he wrote, he wrote a bunch of books, but he wrote a, he wrote the book called as a man thinketh. Yes. Um, and going back to accountability, it's all about accountability. It's all about, you know, a particular thought persisted in cannot fail to produce a fruit. If you are dwelling on this, that, or the other thing, those things will manifest themselves into your life. So I would love to sit down and have a conversation with him. And I would just ask him, where did that enlightenment come from? Because it wasn't as if he was this 95 year old philosopher who lived all these years, you know, he was kind of in his, he was, it was, this was back in like 19, it was like early 
1900s. So he probably died by the age of 40, 50. Everybody died. How do we every single day, how do we every single day, um, I would ask him the questions that I get asked all the time. What are the, what are the three things that you do every single day to make sure that you take the accountability for your life? And then what is one practice that you do every single day that continue continues you to move forward in that direction of self-exploration, excellence, and that accountability? Mm, I love that, man. That's, that's great. Because I, I think I love James Allen. And I love reading, I love, I remember being 2016 was when I read his book Mm -hmm. and changed my life. But I also read at the same time, 12 Pillars by Jim Rohn. And I cross-referenced the two. And both of those books, man, literally changed my perspective on so many things in life. And they took a very naive boy and turned me into a very, you could say more knowledgeable young man that mm-hmm. needed, needed to make a lot of changes in his life. And I love this accountability aspect. It is so, so powerful, so important. So I appreciate you sharing that, man. Mm-hmm. And second last question for you is if you were to be given another chance at life, what would you do differently? Um, I think that's, I think if I could, if I could go back and just interject something into my mind when I was just a, a young kid, I would look, I, hopefully I could have the same mom and dad, same upbringing, all of that. But I just would have, I just would have, I would have explored more, whether it be, I guess, you know, that was the other thing too, back in the day, if, if I had YouTube back in the day, I could have listened to Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, James Allen. I could have listened to all these things and realized, wait a second, these, these little self-limiting beliefs don't have to be my, my destiny. It doesn't have to be my prescription, my prescribed diagnosis of who I am, you know? Um, but I would have just, I would have told that, that young man that it's okay. Listen, at the end of the day, the end of every season, every competition, every business, every, every walk of life at the, at the end of it all, somebody has to be the best. Why shouldn't it be you? Yeah. And I would say, why shouldn't it be you? Instead of, as you talked about giving yourself the choice to win or lose, instead of giving, I always gave myself permission to lose, mm. but why not give yourself permission to win? Yeah. You do things right. You live your life according to, to God's plan and God's purpose. And you, you, you're a, you try to be a man of character. You do all things right. You got the good grades. You never get a pink slip. You never get suspended. You treat people with respect. You do all the right things. So why shouldn't you be successful? Why shouldn't you give yourself permission to win? And I didn't figure that out till I was dang near, you know, 20 something years old. And it took me a long time and I could have saved myself a lot of grief could have saved myself a lot of losses. And, and like I said, I, I don't have any of those regrets because I don't, I don't believe that I regret who I was and how I was raised or how I thought because it is, it is almost bulletproofed me even more because I know what it looks like back there. I know what that little guy from that little town mentality looks like. So I have to harbor um, or I have to uh, safeguard myself from him so much every single day. And it's, and it's got me on my toes and it's got me on my P's and Q's every single day to make sure I never fall back into that trap. Mm, I love that, man. My last question for you is my legacy question that I love asking people at the end. And you've, you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it all. They just did. And they've shown mm-hmm. it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? 
Um, I think, I think it starts with, you know, that little guy from that little town, the guy who, uh, the guy who was taught to do small things, but because of the people in his, because of the people in his life and because God had him in the palm of his hand, his entire life, that he was able to break those chains and go out and impact people. And then the second half of it would just be this beautiful masterpiece that I'm painting, that I painted every single day through, through every single word that I spoke, through every single person that I touched, through every single part of my reputation, through every single performance, and through every single win and loss that someday my son looks at his dad and says, I am so proud to be your son and that I will be a phenomenal man because you were a phenomenal man. I will love because I was loved first and I will serve because I was first served. And I think that's becoming a father has just become the most amazing experience of my entire life. And my son deserves every great thing that comes his way. And he deserves a dad who, who wants to live with so much purpose that I can't even sleep at night because my dreams are so big. Wow. I feel like it's a powerful way to sort of end that conversation. Yeah, man. Don't make me think about my son, dude. It's like, you know, it's we're getting, just, we're getting vulnerable now. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. I, I, I almost don't want to stop. It's, um, but dude, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for just showing up and showing real strength. I really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on the Storybox podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I'll uh, hopefully talk to you soon and do it again soon. I don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.